Thank you, choir and orchestra. In my um, devotion time, I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke. There are many wonderful stories in the Gospel. There's a story of the prodigal son, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. But the one that has always probably been most inspiring to me is found in Luke chapter 5. I have read that, preached from that on a number of occasions because it always inspires me. The story is set at the Sea of Galilee. Now you who have been to Galilee know that it really isn't a sea as we understand a sea. In fact, it's not that impressive of a lake. It's about 12 and 3 quarters miles long. It's seven and a half miles across. Tiberias is on one side, the Golan Heights is on the other side, but it was in this area around the Sea of Galilee that Jesus laid the foundation of Christianity. Overlooking the Sea of Galilee is the Mount of Beatitudes, and there Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount telling us exactly what it means to be a Christian and what he expects from us as Christians. So as we look at the story in just a moment, there The crowd has gathered. There's always a crowd when Jesus speaks. So a crowd has gathered. They they came, they listened, and they left. I'm not sure that their lives were impacted that greatly. But the crowd came, they listened, and then they left. Our focus today is going to be on that few, those few who got into the, the boat with Jesus and launched out into the deep. The reason I want to look at that is because God has always used the few to do his work. You see, we look for the crowd while the Lord looks for the committed. And he's always used the few. You recall when Moses sent the 12 spies in to spy out the land of promise, when they came back to give their report, 10 of them said, well, we can't go in there. There's no way that we can take the land. There were two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who said, God has given it to us. Yes, we can. And they were the ones who went in to the promised land. When Gideon was raising an army to fight against the Midianites, he began with 32,000. But then as it was pared down, there were 300 men who routed the Midianites. I wonder today, could it be that you are someone that God can use to impact this world to make a difference. I don't know. I know that God always uses the few, not the crowd. Maybe you are. Take your Bible, turn with me, and let's look at the story, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. 
And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, as we begin this story, we see the disciples as they are washing their nets. That's what it says in verse 2. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and they were washing their nets. Now, for a fisherman to wash his nets, there were two reasons. One reason was to prepare them to fish again. They are cleaning the nets, they are mending the nets, they are repairing the nets, but it is to get the nets ready to fish again. The other reason that they washed their nets was because they were going to quit. They were finished. They were not going to fish again. Now as I think about that, there are many times when you and I are tempted to wash our nets. We are tempted to throw in the towel. We are tempted to quit. As I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I was thinking about those times when we are probably most vulnerable. Those times in our lives when we are most vulnerable to washing our nets or to quitting. One reason or one time is, is when we have finished a project. When a project is complete, there is the tendency to let down. There is the tendency to quit. There is a tendency to wash the nets. I'm, I'm mindful of uh, Elijah who had challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel to see whose God was the true God. And you know the story. He called down fire from heaven and there was a tremendous display of the power of God. But then his life was threatened by Jezebel and he was ready to wash his nets. He heads for the juniper tree trying to save his life. The project was magnificent. It was complete. And he was ready to quit. The church is always, I think, vulnerable to letting down after a project has been completed. We're not as, we're not as intense. We don't pray like we did. And so... There is that tendency after a project has been completed that we let down, that we wash the nets, that we throw in the towel. I have a friend who is a pastor. He led his church to relocate. They relocated to build a new building, new sanctuary, and so forth. And after they had done that, he said to the people, we're going to take a couple of years and just enjoy the fruits of our labor." He said, you have worked hard, you have given sacrificially, and now we're just going to enjoy what we have accomplished. But the church never recovered from that. You see, they washed their nets. I'm glad that you're not like that. And I mean that sincerely. First Baptist Church of Columbia is not like that. 
When we completed this building, we built a family life center. We completed the family life center. We bought the Y in order to refurbish it for our student ministry. You see, just because a project is complete or a ministry is complete does not mean that we wash the nets and quit. But that's one of the times when we are vulnerable. After a project has been completed, we are vulnerable to washing our nets, to throwing in the towel, to quitting. Another time I thought of is that we are vulnerable when we are tired. You know, you get tired of marriage, you get tired of work, you get tired of church, and we are vulnerable at that time. We're sort of like the woman who said, I'm, I'm tired, I feel like I've been ironing all day on a low ironing board in my high heel shoes with a cold iron. Sometimes we feel that way. I mean, we're just tired. We're worn out. And when we get to that point, then we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take it easy for a while. Another time when we're vulnerable is uh, when we consider ourselves to be old. You know, I mean, let these young ones do it for a while. I see some of these young deacons down here. Let them do it. Some of these white-haired guys have been doing it for a long time. Your turn. I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. I'm going to let somebody else do it because I, I've gotten old. You know, every Sunday morning, there are some deacons who come into my office to pray for me. Probably the youngest is 70 and the oldest is 95. But boy, they still care about this service and they still care about this church. And so they come in to pray for this service every Sunday morning. When we get, when we feel like that we've gotten old, folks, we have a tendency to wash the nets. You know what I decided? Old is not based on the number of years a person has lived. We become old when we no longer have a purpose or we no longer see a future. When that happens, we have become old. Another time when we're vulnerable to washing the nets is when we are fearful. Maybe fearful that we are inadequate. I just can't do it anymore. I am adequate. See, that was Moses whenever, whenever God told him, said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. He said, who am I that I should do that? Why should Pharaoh listen to me? When we begin to feel that we are inadequate, well, then we're ready to wash the nets. Or when we are fearful of failure, that I'm not going to be successful, then we're ready to wash the nets. That was the spies I mentioned earlier, the 10 spies who came back. They were fearful of failure. They said, well, the, the, the people up there are giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There is no way that we can go in and take the land. So there is always the temptation to wash the net. You have that. There's always that temptation to wash the nets, to quit, to pull back. It is then that Jesus gives a challenge in verse number 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep waters and let down your nets for a catch. Life at its fullest requires constant challenges. I'm grateful for the challenges of life because life cannot be full 
without challenge. And so Jesus issued a challenge. Now there was resistance at first. You'll notice in verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. He says, Lord, we, we have been fishing and I'm all night long and I am ready to quit. And we have caught nothing. We've worked hard. We've caught nothing. And besides that, I, I can't help but think, I don't know, but I can't help but think, Simon Peter is thinking, look, I'm a professional. I do this for a living. I'm a what do you do? Oh, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? So Simon Peter has to be thinking, Lord, we have worked hard. We've caught nothing. And now you, a carpenter, you are telling us that we need to continue. I mean, if you knew anything about fishing, you would know that you fish at night, not during the daytime. But Jesus issued a challenge to them. And Jesus challenges us to launch out as well. I mean, there, there are those times in our life when we feel like we're tired, we're ready to throw in the towel, we're ready to wash the nets, and Jesus comes along and says, no, there's something else for you to do. Now, we also resist when the Lord tells us to launch out, do we not? I mean, really, when the Lord tells us, I want you to get out in the deep water, we resist. Why? What's well, dangerous out there? It's dangerous out there. I mean, if you get in the boat with Jesus, there's no telling what he's going to want you to do. And you may not want to do it. When Linda and I fell in love with the Lord back as young marriage and really began to love the Lord, the next thing I know, I'm preaching. Now, that was not something I planned to do. See, that's what I'm talking about. When, when the Lord says to you, I want you to get out in the deep with me, it's dangerous because you don't know what he's going to tell you to do. And it's demanding. We, we try in the church to make serving the Lord convenient. You will never be successful if your commitment is to convenience. It's commitment that matters. We try to schedule everything so that it is convenient. The Lord has not called us to convenience he has called us to a commitment. And so that's a reason the deep is deserted. It is demanding and it's dangerous. So there is resistance and we see the requirements. First of all is if you're going to get in the deep with the Lord, it requires a greater vision. The reason for that is because where you fish determines what you catch. Is that not right? Where you fish determines what you catch. For instance, if you, if you fish in shallow water, you're going to catch little fish. When I go to the beach, I walk on the beach. I'm, I'm not a fisherman. I'm sort of like Jesus, you know, I'm a carpenter or something, but I'm, I'm not a fisherman. I walk on the beach and, and I see these guys out there and, and they got their poles and they're fishing. I never see them haul in a big one. Have you? I mean, you're there on the beach. And so if you fish in shallow water you catch little fish your vision is important the church's vision is important your vision is important because it is going to determine where you fish it requires greater vision it requires greater faith that I'm willing to get in the boat with the Lord I'm, I'm willing to to yield to where, where he is leading me because I have faith in him and it requires greater commitment if you're going to go into the deep with the Lord, you have to have a bigger vision, 
greater faith and greater commitment. Now, if you fish on the beach or in the shallow water, commitment does not have to be great, does it? I mean, what do you need? Well, I need a pole, a line, a hook, and three or four shrimp. I'm good to go. As far as fishing in the shallow water, being out on the beach, I need a hat, I need a chair, and a glass of tea. Glass of tea, I said. Doesn't require much time. I can quit whenever I want to. I'm out there on the beach. I can quit whenever I want to. But now then, if you're going to go into the deep, you're going to do deep sea fishing, things change. Oh, now I've got to have a boat. See, I don't have to have a boat if I'm going to fish from the, from the, the beach. I, I can just throw the, pole, you know, throw the line out there. But if I'm going to get in the deep and fish now, then I've got to have a boat to get out there. And it requires more time also, a commitment of time. There were some men in our church back some time ago. They haven't asked me again. <laughs> but they said, we're going to go deep sea fishing. Why don't you go with us? I said, how long are you going to be out there? We're going to be out there all day. I said, well, what if I don't like it? Will you bring me back? He said, no, we're not bringing you back. It costs a lot of money to get out there to go fishing. I said, I'm not going to go. I mean, if I'm going to get out there, I, I might not like it. I've never been. And I want to be able to quit when I'm ready to quit. So if you're going to get in the deep, we have to be honest about it. If you're going to get in the deep, then it is going to require more time. It's going to require more effort and equipment. Well, the same thing is, uh, uh, the same thing is true spiritually. If we're going to get into the deep spiritually, then it is more expensive. You know, sometimes I think about going and joining another church, don't you? <laughs> I mean, every time I turn around, they're doing something here that's costing me more money. It's sort of like the pastor who got before the people and he said, this church has been sitting too long. He said, we're going to rise up and walk. And the people says, let her rise, pastor, let her walk. And he said, we're going to rise up and, and walk, and then we're going to run. Let her run, Pastor. We're going to rise up and walk. We're going to run, and we're going to fly. Let her fly, Pastor. He said, it costs money to fly. They said, let her sit, Pastor. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we sort of feel that way. Uh, I mean, it's, but that's, that's not going to change, I can tell you that. It's not going to change. If we are going to be the church that God wants us to be, it is not going to be inexpensive. And if you're looking for church based on it being inexpensive, there's a lot of them around. It's not a church, however, that is going to make it. It requires participation. Verse number 7. And they signal to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. It takes all of us doing our part, doesn't it? I was thinking about that. They signal for others to get some help. and I, I thought about a family, my family. You know, we're all different. Everybody in our family, we're different. But every member of my family brings something to make our family better. Every one of them. The same thing is true with the church family. If we're going to be the church, the people that God would have us to be, then it requires all of us being involved. The 80-20 is not good. It is not good. That 20% do all the giving, 20% do all the work, the 80% enjoy the proceeds. All need to participate. So the challenge is to launch out. Now, then there's a promise in verse number 10. 
He says, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. God makes a promise about the future. And I, I love this story. This is a part of it, you know. Peter was washing the nets. He was ready to call it a day. He said, we've worked all day. We've caught nothing. Jesus said, no, I'll get back out there and do this again. And uh, then the Lord says, now, Peter, there's a lesson here. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And Peter was overwhelmed. Look at verse number 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When, when the when they let down the nets and caught the fish, this is an interesting picture to me. Simon Peter got as close to Jesus as he could. He got up by his feet and says, depart from me. Well, see, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean I want you to depart. He got as close as he could to his feet. He got up close to him, depart from me, because I'm not worthy. He, he was overwhelmed with what God had done in his midst. It was just that time in his life when he was overwhelmed. You see, God's plans for our lives are overwhelming. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11, the prophet wrote, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. What plans? God has plans for me? I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. So often on Sunday I look out and see these students and the college students when they're over there. And I think God has such an exciting, wonderful plan for your life. I hope you don't miss it. God has a plan for you. And then I look sometimes and see those who are a little older. And you feel like that I'm finished and God no longer has a plan for me. Yes, he does. As long as he leaves you here, he has a plan for your life. And God said, I have plans for you, for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for your life. And so I think that's what Peter is realizing, and he is overwhelmed with what God did. And then he's amazed. Look at verse number 9. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. God did something that was absolutely amazing. Can you imagine that? They had fished all night, had caught nothing, and now Jesus said, I want you to let down the nets again. They let down the nets, and the nets began to break because they are full of fish. It was absolutely amazing. But did you know when God gets involved in something, it's always amazing? I thought so many times, how would it have been to, been to have been there when Joshua led the people of Israel around the walls of Jericho? I mean, they, they're out there and, they're, and the walls of Jericho are strong and they're tall and they walk around those walls and then they blow the horns and they shout and the walls, I don't I'd probably have lost it right there. Can you believe that? I mean, the walls came down. It is amazing what the Lord does. When God is involved, it is amazing what he does. And our lives should be amazing as Christians. Your life should be amazing. Amazing to you and amazing to those who look at you, who watch you. My life is amazing to me, not because of me. I'm a preacher, 
at First Baptist Columbia, and people ask me if God has a sense of humor. I mean, sometimes I look around and I say, God, what in the world are you doing? It is absolutely amazing when you are with the Lord. You launch out with the Lord. He was overwhelmed. It was amazing what he did. And God gave him a new direction, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The future with Christ involves a new direction. I want you to see here that God blesses. This, this, this has become important to me in the last several weeks. God blesses what he initiates. And he initiated this in verse number 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into the deep water and let down your nets for cash. So he initiated then in verse number 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. Their nets began to break. What was the difference? The Lord was fishing with them. God, the Lord said, I want, you to, I want you to fish again, let down your nets, and they enclosed a great quantity of fish. The difference was is that Jesus was fishing with them now. He blesses when we walk with him, folks, when we're walking with him. Luke chapter 18, verses 28 through 30, and Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. Lord, we, we've, we've left what we have to follow you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. My friend, the Lord says to you, come with me and I'll bless your life. I'll bless your life. When God called me into the ministry, and I was worked into, I thought my life had come to an end. I loved what I was doing, and now then he, I, I knew that he was calling me into the ministry, and I thought, well, this life is over for me. We might as well just hunker down and get through this thing. But let me tell you something. I cannot describe to you how God has blessed my life, and I wouldn't want to do anything else. God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. In verse number seven, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. God blesses us that we might be a blessing. When God blesses you, it should spill over to bless others. The first church I pastored, I remember Dr. Strom, a member of that church who used to say, God has not called us to be reservoirs hoarding the blessings of God. We are to be rivers dispensing the blessings of God. Let me conclude. The Lord gives us a challenge to launch out that requires greater vision, it requires greater faith, and it requires a greater commitment. But when we do, we have a future with God that is absolutely overwhelming, overwhelming and amazing. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I hope you want for you, that you want your life to be so entwined with Jesus that it is overwhelming and amazing. Some years ago, we had gone to the National Prayer Breakfast. Bono was the speaker. He said while he was speaking, stop asking God to bless what you are doing. Get involved with what he's doing because that is always blessed. I wonder, could it be 
that you are one of the few. That God would say, I am going to make a difference in your life and through your life. I don't know. But would you ask that? I am willing to be one of the few that God can have all of me because I am willing to get in the boat in the deep with him. Would that be you? Our gracious Father, I pray that you will take the question and that we will seriously consider it. What would you have us do? What do you want to do through our lives, in our lives? And I pray today, Father, that you might reach out and get maybe a one or two or some who are willing to get in the boat and launch into the deep that they may make a difference in their world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we'll stand and sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you don't, if you don't know Christ, I hope you'll come today and receive him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand, the choir sings. You come, I'll greet you as you do. Oh, Jesus. 